Why do you want to fight? This is the fight game with Demond Cotton. Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting edition of The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. I am your host, Damon Cotton, and we have a jam-packed show for you today. And I know I say it each and every week, but there is so much to talk about in the world of combat sports. I mean, hey, Nate Diaz is officially out of his contract with the UFC. What does that mean? Is he going to take on Jake Paul in the boxing ring? You know what? Maybe he does Maybe he doesn't, but hey, I wanted to talk about that first off the bat because I didn't want to miss that. But let me get into the guests that we have coming up today because, as I always say, so much to talk about and I don't want to miss a thing. We're going to be talking to my guy Reynolds, and we're going to be talking about some AEW because he's one of the best to me when it comes to, hey, he's going to get me intrigued for an AEW show. When I see him live tweeting it, I always look at Reynolds' Twitter. Hey, is Dynamite buzzing? Is Dynamite when I get home on a Wednesday night? Is it going to be worth checking out? And also, we're going to be talking to OG Shawnee Mack around 1240, 1235-ish, and he's from Full Send MMA. I love the Full Send crew, what those guys do on the MMA side. You know, all of the interviews that they have post-fight, you know, I see them at the Apex all the time. Some really nice guys there. So we're going to be talking to Shawnee Mack from Full Send about what they've got going on because UFC... Orlando is coming up, and it's going to be headlined by Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Big Mouth Kevin Holland. And that's going to be exciting to see two strikers. You know it's going to be on the feet. You know what I'd be curious to see about this fight is how much is Kevin Holland going to get paid? You know, he did the job in wrestling terms. He did the job taking on Hamzat back here in Vegas. And now this is going to be his first fight. He obviously didn't take too much damage there. You know, a quick turnaround. He's going to be taking on Wonderboy at welterweight. So this that's going to be a fun fight to see without a doubt. But I want to now turn my attention to WWE Survivor Series. I know I didn't talk about it much last week's show on the Thanksgiving edition of the show, but this Survivor Series, War Games. And Triple H even tweeted out William Regal with the War Games as only Regal could do it. You know, it just wouldn't feel right if Regal didn't give us that War Game. So I appreciate Triple H for doing that. So let's take a look back at this premium live event that WWE had. Because Survivor Series, we all know the traditional setup. We remember, hey, five to survive. All that good stuff with Vince McMahon. One of my favorite Survivor Series teams of all time, the Warriors. Back in 1990, we had the Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Anik, the Road Warriors, and the Ultimate Warrior. One of the best teams ever assembled for Survivor Series. And WWE, they did a good job here also incorporating the war game setup. Now, I didn't know how it was going to be on the main roster, but we knew from its time in NXT, it was a hit. And a lot of the women, when it came to the women's match, had experience in the War Games matches. Rhea Ripley, Bianca Belair, Io Sky, so Dakota Kai also. So we knew that coming into it, that this was going to be good. We know that the women, they were going to put on the show. And what I loved about the women's match... Start off the start off the show with the women's match and keep the men's match toward the end. So that way you have enough space separating them so you don't get bored with the War Games match because no one would want to see the same type of stipulation match back to back. And it was great, man. Bianca Belair, Team Belair taking on damage control. 
and you knew right out of the gate when you get the weapons involved that's kind of one of the staples of what NXT brought to the War Games match where you got somebody they're coming in and they're two minute three minute intervals and then it's just gonna be get the weapons involved a lot of crazy spots and EO Sky hit that moonshot off the top of the cage I thought Bianca Belair maybe messed up her knee but once again proving that she's Jane Cena and one of the best in the division she gets back up like a champ the KOD that she gave to Bailey against the cage mwah, and shout out to Bailey for taking such a move like that so many impressive moments in this match whether it be Rhea Ripley even before she entered the war games cage doing the pull-ups in the cage before where in the holding cell where everybody's waiting Rhea Ripley's gonna get her moments to stand off between her and Bianca we know that these two they're up next at this point in WWE so that's gonna be interesting to see because I do think that for Bianca Belair that this should be where the feud goes next. We get the surprise of Becky Lynch on Friday Night SmackDown. The man is back. And we saw on Monday Night Raw, this previous one that we just had on Monday, that Becky Lynch is back and she's going to be feuding with Bayley. You know, they're fighting all over the arena. Ba- Becky Lynch is taking on Bayley and all of Damage Control, EO Sky and Dakota Kai. So where does that leave Bianca Belair? And I think that that's the perfect spot for Rhea Ripley now. We know that she's doing the work with Dominic. They beat up Rey Mysterio on Thanksgiving. That was one of the best videos that WWE's put out on their social. Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio going to Rey Mysterio's house and beating him up on Thanksgiving. So we all know that the stuff that her and Dominic are doing is great. But I want to see Rhea Ripley get more involved in that women's title picture. I'm not saying that she should take the title off of Bianca Belair now. But she needs that next great feud. Who's going to be that next great heel to take on Bianca Belair and I do think that it should be Rhea Ripley the second match on that card Finn Balor versus AJ Styles now this is one for me you know with the New Japan ties these two can't miss when they get in the ring together got that Bullet Club connection AJ Styles and Finn Balor and I really thought that this was a good match obviously you can see in AJ Styles that he is losing the stuff AJ Styles is 45 years old I don't want to believe it but man he can still go out there and give you a phenomenal performance as he won the match with the phenomenal forearm coming off of the top rope but him and Balor I think that they have excellent chemistry and with the judgment day in the OC I want to see this continue I don't I don't I'm not getting tired of this yet I'm not getting stale of this yet because with Dominic Mysterio Damian Priest and Finn Balor and them taking on the big LG Luke Gallows and Machine Gun Carl Anderson, AJ Styles. You can't go wrong here because I think that the chemistry, at least when you have those Bullet Club ties with those four guys, is going to be great. And Dominic Mysterio, everything that he's doing, his character work has been off the charts. I mean, the weaselly heel, he's getting out of his father's shadow, yes. But it's just something about him as a heel where it's working for me. It's clicking. Even when he does his three amigo suplexes, it's all working for me with Dominic Mysterio. I was almost out on him even a few months ago when he was still tag teaming with Ray. Uh, you know, it was the nepotism, it was nepotism at its finest. Hey, look at Dominic Mysterio teaming with Ray. I get it. But now, Judgment Day Dom, love every bit of it. Moving on to the SmackDown women's title match. Ronda Rousey took on Shotzi Blackheart. And this was a match that 
yes, did it under deliver Ronda Rousey. We see that she's not a ring general. She's not someone who should be in charge of the match. She should not be leading. And that's what a heel is going to have to do in the ring most of the time. And you saw the, the hashtag fire Ronda Rousey. And for some people in the WWE, you got to get I know that wrestling fans always want something to be mad at. But calm down, please calm down. They're not going to fire Ronda Rousey just because you don't like the way she took a DDT on the apron. And I'm a firm believer of, hey, if you don't know how to say if you don't know how to take something, speak up and say it before the match starts. I've had that moment in a match, too, where you take someone's move, not the way that they intended. And now it looks like crap on both parties. Because the fans, what they see, they just see a botch. It doesn't matter who messed up where. The fans are looking at a botch. But then it leads to fire Ronda Rousey. And Ronda Rousey, they're not going to fire her. But also that shows that maybe she only, she's only going to work on that special attraction level. I'm not saying take the title off of her. But it's only going to be against not just the four horsewomen, but those women that the styles clash are they are going to be able to make her look like a million bucks. And Shotzi, just not so fresh off of NXT, but probably on the main roster for less than a year now, she's not going to be, she's not at that level in ring to make a Ronda Rousey look good in the ring, if you understand what I'm saying. She's not at that caliber to make Ronda Rousey look like a million bucks. But I do still think that Shotzi is an amazing, incredible performer inside the ring, and I like the character work that she's building. But Ronda Rousey, heel Ronda Rousey, do like that because she doesn't shine as a baby face, but she's not heel enough to lead in the ring, if that makes sense. Then we're going to move to the triple threat for the United States title. Seth Rollins versus Bobby Lashley versus Austin Theory. And Austin Theory coming out with that U.S. title. And yes, Triple H made the comment in the post in the post um event presser about people thought that his career was dead people were saying that hey they're misusing austin theory his career is over and look at that the story that they were telling i don't know when that they decided to make this pivot to hey austin theory he's gonna he's gonna cash in with the money in the bank he's gonna lose it but then he's gonna come back with even more fire I don't know when they decided that internally, but I like the direction that they're going because we all know, hey, Austin Theory, he's the chosen one from Vince McMahon. He's the new guy. He's the anointed one. And to see him get knocked off a big, to see him have to eat a little bit of humble pie. But now he's back with a vengeance. And I don't know, maybe him and Seth Rollins, they continue the feud. But Bobby Lashley, he's out of the U.S. picture. And I just think that bring Brock Lesnar back again. Give me Bobby and Brock Part three, part four, part five. Let those guys feud all the way up until mania. But I don't think that Bobby Lashley needs to be concerned with the U.S. title anymore. Seth Rollins and Austin Theory, if they're going to have a feud there, I know how that's going to work the heel heel dynamics. But I'm still interested in seeing that as well. Now to the main event of Survivor Series War Games, the Bloodline versus the Brawling Brutes with Drew McIntyre and Kevin Owens. This match delivered on every note, A plus, five stars. I do not care how you want to grade it. Kevin Owens coming out in the Dusty Rhodes t-shirt, paying homage to the man who created the War Games match. You love to see that. And you get the start, Jey Uso and Butch. You get that start there, and you get the first bit of intrigue with the match. As the bloodline, they don't have the advantage. So who's going to come out first to save Jey Uso in this Survivor Series War Games match? And obviously you think it's going to be his twin brother, Jimmy Uso. But Roman Reigns, the tribal chief, makes the decision, no, no, no. Sammy's going to go out there and him and Jey are going to work together as a team. And then you see that Sammy and Jey, they get that match. 
They get inside the match. They start working together. And you see with the bloodline, how these guys, they're telling cinema. This is all together. We, we knew what the conclusion was going to be. The bloodline, they're not losing anytime soon. Kevin Owens, maybe he's going to be the next challenger for Roman Reigns. We see the seats being planted there on Monday night. But the way that that War Games finish happened, Kevin Owens pinning Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn making the save and hitting Kevin Owens with the low blow, a halluva kick, and letting Jey Uso, his nemesis inside the bloodline, get the one, two, three, and the hug after. I don't think that people have been that excited about a hug Ever. And then they follow it up on Monday Night Raw and the Usos and Sami Zayn, they're all hugging. They're trying to get Solo Sokoa into the hug, but he's not with it because Solo, he's the enforcer. Sent by the elders. My man don't smile for nothing. And you can see that that was evident as he was staring down the brawling brutes there as well. But Roman Reigns, the tribal chief, he got Sami and Jay to get along. And that just shows you how good that this story has been crafted. The wise man, Paul Heyman, as well, were... The biggest storyline in WWE right now is two guys in the same faction. Will they get along? They Their hug between Sami Zayn and Jey Uso, that's the best thing that wrestling has produced maybe all year. And I think it's going to be setting up Sami Zayn for the perfect babyface run down the line. And when we come back here on The Fight Game, we're going to be talking AEW with Reynolds. This is The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to The Fight Game with Iman Cotton. Welcome back to the fight game here on 1230 The Game, and I'm pleased to introduce my next guest, Reynolds. And you can follow him on Twitter at IamReynolds2305. Reynolds, let's talk about some AEW, because you are one of the few people, when they live-tweet the shows, that that increases my intrigue for the show. I, I see what you're what you're live-tweeting about AEW, and I'll be honest, I'll just use the cliche, you keep it real about AEW. So what did you say on Dynamite last night that you liked? Uh, that I liked. I mean, I think the uh, the elite and uh, death triangle stuff has been fantastic. I think they're doing a great job. I, I think the Bucks and the elite have a have a great idea of how to do showmanship and how to actually produce through their stories. Uh, they're telling the story of like an NBA NHL series, right? They're down in an O2 hole. They have to fight their way back out. Each match is different. They got on the board, so it's two one, which now sets up for them to try and even the series right on the uh, winner is coming show and all that's going to lead until they get to essentially the game seven match seven in LA where the Bucks have the home court advantage, right? It's really well done. I think all three matches have been very, very good. The match three was probably the, the worst of them, but still it was just much different. And there was such a high standard in the first two that I think they've been doing a great job with that. Uh, also, Dax Harwood and Brian Danielson was fantastic. Just an absolute technical wrestling masterpiece. The only problem with it was that there was like no real storyline attached to it, but they did a match about as good as you can do a match without a story. Uh, for wrestling nerds, it was heaven on that one. That was the good stuff on the show. All right, well, let's talk about the good a little bit more. You mentioned the main event for, for the trio's seven way that they have there, the best of seven. How have you thought the Elite have been since the return, and when do you think they're going to get rid of the Kansas song? 
Uh, well, I mean, from what I've been reading, right, the, the song is going to be their official trio's entrance song. So I think when they stop being a trio, that's probably when they'll get rid of it. I think uh, it's great. They have, a, they have a, such a, a great sense of how to do the lighting and how to make that a big deal. And it's a song that people love to sing along with in the vein of, like, Jericho's thing. So, I mean, I, I think they're not going to get rid of that anytime soon until they're done being a trio. But as far as how they've been presented since they've been back, uh, I think it's been outstanding. I, I think they've come back. They, they have to do some of the stuff to uh, troll the CM Punk stuff, uh, turn that into a fun thing in Chicago. Uh, they've been great. And then I'm a big fan of you bring somebody back and it seems like a clear setup to have them get the win. And they immediately lose their first two matches, but it's part of a storyline, right? And they can also use the whole ring rust uh, section of it. So I think they've been doing a great job with that. And like I said, building that into an NBA-type series has been a very fun way. The, my only thing with this is I wish it was more like the Bellator Grand Prix where the titles were on the line for each match because otherwise it doesn't really make much sense to have the champions stay the champions even though they lost the match right, because we're just doing the overall series. Like, you should do the best of seven if there was something inconclusive and then the titles were held up and the only way to settle was a best of seven. That's my only issue with doing, with doing that kind of out of the blue. Yeah, you're right, because to me also, it wasn't announced until a best of seven until after Death Triangle won. So in kayfabe, if I'm Death Triangle, I'm saying, why is it a best of seven after we beat the Elite? You know, just like one of those sometimes where you just want to pick it apart. In real life, if you're the champ and then you win and say, hold on, hold on, hold on, we're making it a best of seven, you'd say, what the hell, what's going on here, am I right? Yeah, storyline justification makes no sense for why they did this, right? Like, they, they lost the match at the pay-per-view. It was just a straight-up loss, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, and it's a best-of-seven series. That's where AEW falls on their face so much is with the lack of promotion. What you could have done with that is you could have done the match, had, like, the weird finish, have another referee come out, right? No, no, they used a hammer, this thing, that thing, have all this, like, inconclusiveness around it, and then that's where, like, they, you miss the old WWE days with Jack Tunney. I think you're a little bit younger than me, so you might not remember that guy. But he was the WWE president, and he would come along, and he would just be like, all right, this is the decision. You know, the 1992 Royal Rumble is going to be for the world championship because we have too much stuff going on with Flair, The Undertaker, Hogan. That's where you need somebody that, that the authority figure, the William Regal type that was for NXT, to come in and say, okay, this is the situation. We, ha we don't have a clear-cut winner best of seven series between these two teams. That would have been much better as a storyline justification. The match is going to be excellent. You already know that because all six guys involved are awesome. But as far as storyline-wise, like, flat out, that sucks. Again, we're talking to Reynolds here on the fight game on 1230 game. Something that I want to ask you about, you know, the biggest – Excuse me, the biggest segment of the night in AEW Dynamite, MJF, the champion. We finally see him on TV after winning that title. And they got me with the swerve. I will say this. I was one of those people going into full gear. Hey, Regal's going to turn on Moxley. And I don't want to see that because where do you go from there when you have the heel manager with the heel superstar? And I'll say this. I don't like it per se, but they definitely got me with the swerve. What do you think about it? I don't know why they got you. I thought that, look, everything about that has been garbage to me. Uh, they, the whole thing leading up to it was so diluted because you had the firm stuff. They set up all this stuff with the firm. Is MJF involved with them or not? And then they did nothing to tease that Regal might turn on Moxley. Like, you heard people talk about it. And then they got there, but they did none of the work putting into it. So it got a little bit of a reaction. If you go back and you listen to the Chicago crowd, they were like, oh, they did the thing. But it wasn't that 
insane moment where you were just so shocked by it, right? Because it, it was just like they just did the moment just to do the moment. They didn't actually build up a story for Regal. They didn't tie into any of that thing. And they really could have. All they needed to do was they kept having the line about what the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing everybody he didn't exist. Right, and they had a couple things with Moxley saying you are not the devil, and they should have steered into that because the devil should have been Regal, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the big, the big reveal is like, yeah, I'm not the devil. It was Regal. You trusted this guy, whatever. But they didn't do any of that, so it didn't really, it didn't really pop like it should have. Uh, so I didn't really, I didn't really care afterward because you spent all this time building up the firm, and then that played no part of it, right? Going into the, going into the match. And then uh, last night's segment, I, a big miss for me, big miss, is that they went on way too long. It didn't accomplish nearly what it needed to. They, MJF comes out there, here's, you know, here's the explanation for why Regal made this dramatic turn. Uh, I got beat up by the firm, and uh, he sent me an email and said, you have real potential to be a villain. That's it. That's why Regal turned his back on John Moxley is because all of a sudden he feels like he has potential. That's the exact same thing Regal said that supposedly started this whole thing off is that he had potential when he did the WWE tryout. Like that is a garbage explanation for why this big thing happened, right? So they do all that, and then what now you have is the attack on William Regal last night, where okay. Less than two weeks ago, Regal does this despicable act and turns on John Moxley. Now, two weeks later, we're supposed to feel sympathy for this guy, right? It's it's insane. That's where they go with this. It's just like this hardcore pivot, and I think some of it is now like I'm, I'm reading that the, there's a lot of this talk that Regal might be on his way back to WWE. He's still got to do a better job, even if he's on his way out of there. There's a million things that you could have done that better to set that up, and and I just to me it would have been uh, as simple as what is it the dynamite right after full gear is instead of having Moxley just sit there and go leave and don't come back like he's Marcellus Wallace to Butch in Pulp Fiction, it is, you go with the uh, the thing of Moxley going fine. I'm not going to hurt you out of respect to Danson, but I'm going to hurt your family and things that you love, right? So that way you show. Moxley can get just as vicious and mean and get at Regal, and maybe you get some sympathy for him that way. No, you're spot on with some of that, and I also think that this is there. This is leading to the write-off of William Regal on TV. And now, the number one contender, Ricky Starks. What do you think about him? He has a squash match with Davari. You know, it's a squash match. Who cares? But and then you see the inclusion of the firm. Do you think that the firm that so much as we saw with Stokely Hathaway being on the session with Renee Paquette is that? This faction is aimless now that CM Punk is gone. Uh, and they're going to have to figure it out because obviously they did want to really pivot with, with the firm stuff because that was going to play into MJF and Punk. But, I mean, I, I think that's a, a real simple pivot. We've, uh, we outgrew MJF, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then you just focus on Ethan Page, who's awesome, and they haven't done nearly enough with. right? And then you make him the, the focus of the group. You, you know, have him trying to angle for the world title shot. You know what he's what he's already doing the thing with uh, with Starks where he's like I'm going to win the the Dynamite Diamond Ring and then I'm going to cash in after you whatever that's a that's a good enough reset to figure out where that group can go from there and then I don't know maybe you have them feud with House of Black or something like that coming out of it so that way you, you can give them some kind of direction and some kind of character traits uh, they're definitely trying to figure that out as far as Starks I I like Ricky Starks I, I think. He's very, very talented, but as as of the last few months, 
it feels very much like 2014 Dolph Ziggler to me, where I, I was saying this on, on Twitter when I was watching the show, in that, like, it doesn't feel like he believes in anything he's saying. He's just performing these lines, like he's doing a, uh, a monologue read for some audition. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it's very cheap and lame to me. And I'm just like, all right, Ricky, you got to figure out something. Hey, I'm going to be world champion. I came into this company. I wrestled Cody for the TNT championship, but I'm ready for the big time. Whatever, like uh, something that he can really grasp into or dive his, uh, sink his teeth into. But, I mean, right now it just feels like, it almost feels like uh, he's auditioning for WWE in a way. <laughs> About half the roster is. Again, we're talking to Reynolds here on the fight game, and you can follow him on Twitter at I am Reynolds 2305. Let's talk about the way they kicked off the show. John Moxley, there are three things certain in this world death, taxes, and Moxley. And he has that confrontation with Hangman Adam Page, and you get the dust up. Yeah, two guys, you got to pull apart, and that is what it's going to be. What do you think about the return of Hangman, and where does John Moxley go from here? Well, I think clearly it's going to be Moxley and, and Hangman. Those guys have uh, reset their focus on each other, and it's good because that gets Moxley a direction away from the world title a little bit so MJF can just like re- you know, reinforce his, his scumbag credentials and, and go against Brian Danielson, I think, is the clear direction after you know, the regal stuff. But I, I honestly, I, you know, when you asked me what I liked about the show, I did kind of forget this segment, which is one of the issues with AEW is that they do so much stuff that sometimes you lose sight of uh, some of the stuff that happens on there. I like this. I like Moxley coming out and, you know, pumping his chest a little bit. No one wants to go at me. And then, boom, Hangman's back, right? It makes perfect sense. And I love the way they handled it where Moxley started mocking the concussion a little bit. And then Hangman just, like, hauled off and cracks him. Like, he's like, he's not playing around. And then they go to the brawl. And then they did something they don't normally do on Dynamite, which I think is, is good and they need to do more of is that carried through multiple segments right to tell you that it was such a big deal that there's so much heat between these two guys the the difference is i think they should have extended out throughout the show and one of the things i think they could have done is have them brawl throughout multiple segments have them kicked out of the building like they did and then have them come back and brawl their way through the main event and that allows the elite to get the advantage on death triangle would have been a nice little subtle way to connect hangman and the elite still and then also give the elite their storyline advantage for the, the win over death triangle the the multiple segments thing was was very good i think the fact that they dropped it after the second one was a little bit rough, but I do like the direction because it gives these two big personalities a personal issue away from the world title before they're ready to go back and rejoin the scene. And then a few more of the other champions on the AEW roster. Jamie Hayter, she, they set up the, hey, she'll have a sit-down interview next week. They show the acclaimed, and hey, they're going to take on the number two tag team in the division on Rampage. What do you think about some of the champions or just some people that aren't featured on Dynamite or just this past Wednesday, but what do you think that they're going to be going, including the acclaimed and the AEW women's champion, Jamie Hayter? Uh, starting with the acclaimed, I, I don't know. Like the acclaimed are, I think, for a younger group. You know, I, I'm 38. I scissor me I daddy isn't getting over with you. What's that? I said scissor me daddy isn't getting over with you. <laughs> no, it's fine. It works as a catchphrase, but like you know, I'm, I'm kind of beyond the point of just like shouting. You know, not necessarily with the offensive isn't the word. You know, but just uh, shock value stuff isn't really for me. And like I said, a lot of their stuff that they do is for, is for younger kids and I can see it working good for them. Uh, the matches don't really click that much for me. So whatever they need something to do for, for a while. I, I don't know. They have FTR on the roster and they're 
champions in three different companies and they don't use these guys. I think they're clearly trying to set up something for that down the, down the road, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't really care, to be honest with you, as far as the acclaimed goes. Uh, on the women's side, I am a big, big advocate of women's wrestling and in the way the women have carried WWE for the most part for the last six years. And AEW looked at that and came in and said, yeah, we want to be inclusive and we want to be diverse. And they really haven't. They have failed their women repeatedly. Uh, Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa succeeded in spite of the company, not because of it. It's just been a disaster. There is nobody other than Britt Baker that has a real character attached to them. She's phenomenal. She should be promoted as such. She isn't. Uh, then you come in and you bring in Soraya, who, quite frankly, has bombed. She has not been worth whatever money they are paying for. She was flat out bad. She should have been an easy hero making her comeback after five years, similar to the way Edge was a triumphant hero coming back after 10 years, right? They didn't do that. She became a villain. The audience was split. And then she's not on the show for two weeks afterward, right? They promote her sit down with Renee was for what? For Rampage. And it's like, that's it. That's the big returning hero moment is she's actually a villain and we not, we don't really address her. As far as hater, they started teasing the split with Britt Baker a few months ago. And the time to pull the trigger on that was a few months ago, right? People were super, super into her and it just, it isn't, it isn't going to be the same because they've had to restart the whole deal with splitting from Britt. But I think Jamie Hayter is awesome, and I think there should be a solid match with Chris Statlander when she comes back. All right, Reynolds, man, thank you so much for joining me here on The Fight Game. Let everybody know what you got going on, and I mean, you're one of the best live tweeters of the shows out there, man. I've always said that about myself. Uh, yeah, I'm doing comedy throughout throughout Vegas, so you can follow me on Instagram, get information about that. I am Reynolds Comedy. Uh, and then I live tweet the wrestling shows at I am Reynolds 2305. That's pretty much all I do on Twitter. Uh, and I'm always down to talk wrestling stuff, man. So uh, follow me on, on Instagram for comedy shows and follow me on Twitter for wrestling stuff. Will do. Certainly will check that out because who doesn't love comedy and wrestling? And when we come back on the fight game, we're going to turn our attention to the octagon as UFC. They, they have a great fight night card coming out and you don't want to miss this one. It's going to be headlined by Stephen Thompson and Kevin Holland. And we're going to be talking to OG Shawnee Mack from Full Sand MMA next here on the fight game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to The Fight Game with Damon Cotton. Welcome back to The Fight Game here on 1230 The Game, and I'm pleased to introduce my next guest from Full Send MMA, the OG Shawnee Mac. Shawnee, man, thank you for joining me on the show. I see that you're out there in Orlando for the fight night, man. What's the atmosphere like? What was it like there yesterday for the uh, media day? You know, it was, it was pretty quiet here, to be honest with you. Um, we, ended up, we ended up running through uh, the media pretty quick, bro. Um, Everybody was really hyped about the main event and uh, obviously Tuovasa and Pavlovich. But, uh, you know, I kind of wish this card would get a little bit more hype because I feel like it's going to be a card where we're going to see a lot of finishes. Yeah, I think so, too. So let's start with that main event. Steven Wonderboy Thompson, Kevin Holland. Who do you have favored here? Because you don't see this too often. you got the number six fighter in the welterweight division going against the guy who's unranked. And maybe that unranking is a little unfairly to Kevin Holland, but it is what it is. So what do you think about this matchup going into it? I think it's going to be a matter of if Kevin Holland is able to figure out Wonder Boy. He needs to put a little bit of pressure on him in these early rounds and not let Wonder Boy get comfortable. 
because the later this fight goes, I'm going to say the more it favors Wonderboy. He's always been able to, I don't, you can say point fight, but I don't like using that term. Um, but he's a vet. You know what I mean? He's a, he's a hard guy to put away. Um, he was arguably winning the Anthony Pettis fight until obviously we saw what happened. But yeah, bro, I, I favor Kevin Holland in this fight just because of age. Um, you know, age and he's got more to, he's got more to gain from winning this fight. I don't think we'll see Wonder Boy get another title shot. Even if he wins this fight, I mean, who is he, you know, we've seen that he struggles with grappling. Kevin Holland's in the same boat, but I just think Kevin Holland, it's, you know, you got to go with Kevin Holland this weekend. And how was Kevin Holland's demeanor after that Hamzat fight? Because we all know that it was short notice. It was a bit of a, hey, man, we knew what to expect with that finish. You know, he doesn't have the grappling like that. But how was he, like, bouncing back and getting ready for the Wonder Boy fight? It was very interesting, um, the way that he talked about it at uh, the media day yesterday. He, he kind of let loose a little bit. Um, he said, you know what, I haven't really gone off on the Hamzat fight yet, but... Uh, he said if Hamzad is going to get a, you know, a title fight at 185 pounds and he's never had a fight it against a top 15 guy at 185 pounds, he said, I'll retire. He said, if I wake up Sunday morning after I beat Wonderboy and I see Hamzad's getting a title shot at 185 pounds, he said, I will go home, I will retire, I will smoke weed, I will play video games and eat steaks. <laughs> I love it, but he's not wrong though. I mean, I, I wouldn't be that drastic. I wouldn't, I wouldn't quit my job over it. But he's not wrong about Hamza getting a shot. Do you think that Hamza deserves a title shot? Absolutely not. I mean, how do you reward a guy for missing weight by, you know, ten, eleven pounds? You're going to give him a title shot after that? I think, I think he's going to get a title shot eventually. But he's got to prove himself at the 185 pound division. I mean, I, who knows? Is he going to fight at 185 pounds or is he going to try and make weight at 170 pounds? So I don't blame Kevin Holland for, you know, saying the things he did at media day yesterday. All right, now I want to jump around the card a little bit because to me, this fight should be the co-main event because you have two top five fighters in the heavyweight division, Taito Ivasa versus Sergey Pavlovich. Man, I just want to get your thoughts on this because to me, Taito Ivasa, he's, he's big money for the UFC. And for him to have a fight, you know, on a short turnaround like this, but also on a fight night card, to me, he should be established as a co-main eventer on a pay-per-view. What do you think about him being on this fight night card? I 100% agree. You know what I mean? I don't know how he's not the co-main event. Um, it's a very interesting fight, though. You got Sergey Pavlovich, who's terrifying. I will tell you firsthand, uh, after the Derek Lewis fight, I was in the media room. And he walked into the media room, had to sit down with his team. And like the term, like big body, like, oh my God, the, just the size of this man, you know what I mean? Like you can tell that there's some serious, serious power behind his shots. And, uh, he's got a very stoic kind of aura about him. Um, just one of those guys that you don't want to with type deal kind of reminds me of Fedor a little bit. Um, and then Ty, how can you count out Ty? You can never count out Ty to Avasa, right? I mean, look at the look at the Cyril Gone fight. He gets cracked in the you know in the stomach, and then he almost comes back and knocks Cyril Gone out right after that. So, I think it's a very very exciting fight. And um, man, I, I got to go with Pavlovich in this one though, just because I haven't seen anything out of him to 
prove to me that, you know, he's going to get knocked out by Ty. I mean, anybody can get knocked out, but yeah, I got a favorite Pavlovich in this one. Yeah, he is the he is the betting favorite, but man, with Tai Tuivasa, he's just one of those favorites for me. Where I'm just, hey, if he could land that big shot, you just gave the great analysis of why Sergey should be favored and why he's probably going to win the fight. But to me, man, with Tai Tuivasa, that's why I'm just so surprised that he's so low in the middle of this card. Because with a guy like that, a fan favorite, man, you want to see the shoey after a fight. I just want to believe that hey, he's going to land that one big shot and change the entire you know the entire fight. But man, it's going to be good to see. Now let's go to the actual co-main event, Rafael Dasanos versus Brian Barberena. What do you think about this one? Because RDA, you know, he's obviously getting up there in age, but he's going to be one of those guys that's going to stick around until the UFC tells him to go home. And Barberena, he's a he's a slugger. He's going to go out there and go balls to the wall. So what do you think about this one? Very interesting fight, right? I mean, Barbarina obviously coming off the win over Robbie Lawler, and uh, he was talking about it at media day yesterday. He said, man, if you go back and you look at my record at the end of my career, all the names that I'm going to have on my record of, you know, legends that I've fought. He's fought Leon Edwards. He's fought Colby Covington. He's fought Robbie Lawler. Now he's getting RDA on his record. Bam Bam is another guy that, you can't count out. He's like a tie to Avasa. And I mean, he's on a three fight win streak right now. So he's got a little bit of momentum coming into this fight, but then you've got RDA who is coming off the loss to Fazeev at 55. Um, he's going back up to 170. He said he kind of just wants money fights after this. He said he might jump back and forth between 55 and 70. Um, but he said he feels like he's earned the right to, you know, just kind of get big money fights to end his career. How do you not go with the veteran on this one? You know what I mean? How do you not go with, with RDA? I love Bam Bam. He's a good buddy of mine. Um, but if I'm a gambling man, which I am, you got to take the favorite in this one. And you mentioned that he's only that he only wants RDA at this point. He only wants big money fights. So let's say that he does win this one. Who would you see next for him in his career at this point? Oh, man. I would, I would kind of hope. He stays at 170, but I'm just not sure who he would get. I mean, even at 55, let's pull up the rankings here real quick. Um, I'll go to the 170-pound rankings. Let's see. All right, yeah, 170. We got Leon the champ, Kamaru, obviously, Kobe, Hamzat, if you want to take him there, Bilal Muhammad. I mean, so I really don't know. At the in that top five range, like who would he be fighting at one at one seventy? He wouldn't. He wouldn't be getting a top five fight. Um, maybe a Tony Ferguson at fifty five, but I mean that's a that's a big name, but it's not a big rank, you know. And maybe Masvidal because he's still up. He's still you know right there. He's a little bit outside of the top ten, but you know you got two Asian vets, and I think that you could put them together, and that could be as in his words as you said a big money fight. It's funny because he he still brings up the Conor McGregor fight. He said he still wants to get that one back, but I, I just don't, I don't think Conor's coming back, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't think we're never going to see Conor in the octagon again. 170, looking at him now, he's brolicking, you know, I'll shout out to him, but I don't think he's going to get down to 170 again either. What does he got, you know what I mean, what has he got left to fight for other than pride? You know, the guy has more money than you can dream of at this point, so, I mean, what does, what does getting back in the octagon with one of these you know, best 170-pound guys in the world do for him other than, you know, get that adrenaline rush going again. 
I don't know. It's one of those itches, though. He could just say he's happy with the money. But I think when you're at the top like this, when you're one of those, when you're a top level fighter, you're one of the best of all time. Maybe it's just that itch just to prove it to yourself that you still got it. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of, it could definitely be a personal thing. Like, hey, you know, I'll take one more just to say F- you to everybody and say I still got it, you know. Yeah, man, I get you there again. We're talking to OG Shawnee Mack from Full Send MMA here on the fight game. Now, let's keep going down this card a little bit. Matisse Nikolai versus Matt Schnell. And this is a flyweight battle. And I love the flyweights because we know at the top of the division, hey, Figueredo, Brandon Moreno, what's going on there? Those two guys are going to be duking it out for that title soon. But you can never give me a bad flyweight fight in my mind because at 125, there's always going to be some action. Isn't it crazy that that division was on the verge of you know, not being there anymore. It's absolutely wild to me. I mean, there was a lull, but you look at the fights now and you're like, how, how could they have gotten rid of this division? Um, Nicolau, obviously favorite. He's what? One, two, three. He's on a five fight win streak. He got the win over David Dvorak in his last fight, but Matt Schnell is a dog, right? I mean, that last fight was probably one of the craziest fights of the year. Um, I'd probably give him comeback of the year for that fight against Sumo Darji. I remember watching it. Um, we were all backstage doing post-fight interviews, and everybody was just kind of losing their minds when that happened with that triangle joke. Um, and Matt Snell is like a guy, I don't remember the name of the reality series he was on, but he was caged, MTV caged, bro. I've been, did you ever watch that back in the day? No, man, I didn't, so fill me in. So Matt Snell was on a show called MTV's Caged where it like, followed a group of local MMA fighters that were just trying to break in, I think to the regional scene, regional and like very, very early pro scene. This was probably like, damn bro. Like a good 10 years ago or something like oh, that. I just so looked I heard, up 2012, I've heard yeah. of Matt Schnell since then. Um, but he's just one of those guys that you can never count out, bro. He's, he's like, it, it, it seems to be a topic that we're coming back to on, on this whole card, you know, bam, bam, uh, Barbarina, Bam Bam Tuavasa, and now Matt Schnell, they've all got that dog in them, right? But a dog can only get you so far with a highly skilled guy like Mateus Nicolau. I think he's going to be smart enough to avoid a dog fight with Matt Schnell, and I could see him just getting a unanimous decision. All right, man, only a couple more questions for you. I know we went through a lot of the main card, but what are some of the fights on this card that maybe people aren't showing enough love that you think are going to be some bangers? I like... I like Michael Johnson and Mark Casey. Michael Johnson is never in a boring fight. I mean, the guy doesn't have the greatest record. He's 20 and 18, but... We'll see. And Mark Casey's got this newfound wrestling game that's you know, he's been showing over his, his last few fights. So I think that one's going to be a banger. I like, I like Michael Johnson. I've liked him since the ultimate fighter. Um, you know, he might be an underdog that you might want to hammer this weekend just because, um, for whatever reason, he always, I mean, sometimes he looks like the best fighter in the world. Sometimes he looks like, damn, what happened to that Michael Johnson we saw a couple weeks ago, but I like that fight. Uh, that one's on the undercard, obviously. And, I'm very interested to see how Roman Delize does against Jack Hermanson. Uh, Roman Delize obviously taking the quick turnaround. I think he's number 20 in the world right now uh, at 185 pounds. He's taking on Jack Hermanson, who's, I think, number eight. He's got a chance to skip the line. Um, and watching that fight against Phil Hawes, what he did to Phil Hawes was terrifying. 
you know? Nobody does that to Phil Haas. And Roman Dolice, I mean, he took his knee out and then he knocked him out. So he's got a lot of momentum coming into this fight. I also like him as a dog at plus 160 against Jack Hermanson. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take those bets now, yo. Everybody, if you're listening, come on now. He's giving he's putting you on some free game right now. All right, Shawnee man, I know you got a lot going on with Full Send MMA, but tell everybody where they can follow you guys and what you guys coming up guys coming up got coming up next. Damn. Yes, sir. So you can follow us on YouTube at Full Send MMA, uh, TikTok Full Send underscore MMA, Instagram Full Send underscore MMA. Uh, we're really hyping the YouTube channel right now. We're starting to do a lot of one-on-ones with fighters. Um, been doing a lot of work with Raul Rosas Jr., the 18-year-old who made it on Dana White's Contender Series this year. He's got his fight coming up uh, December 10th, his debut fight in the UFC. Uh, so watch out for him, and go watch the videos that we did with him on our YouTube channel. All right, man, I'm going to see you out at 282, right? Absolutely. All right, man, see you then. Thanks for coming on with me. Take care, brother. And that was OG Shawnee Mack from Full Send MMA. And these guys, they're putting out some of the best content in the game, especially with those post-fight interviews that they have with fighters following the cards. Man, you don't want to miss it. So follow them, Full Send MMA, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. He just told you everything where to get them. And when we come back here on The Fight Game, we're going to finish up the show with a few good minutes. Welcome back to The Fight Game. And we're back here on the fight game on 1230 the game and something that I want to talk about that is almost went under the radar just a little bit is Tyson Fury and Tyson Fury has a fight this coming Saturday and you can check that out on ESPN plus it's not even going to be on pay-per-view taking on Derek Chirosa Chirosa. Hopefully I'm saying that right. But Tyson Fury has a fight coming up. And it's one of those things where this isn't going to be that much of a challenge for him. I don't know if he's just getting this as a tune-up fight before he takes on Alexander Usyk. But it's just strange. We talked about this in the last segment with OG Shawnee Mack from Full Send about Conor McGregor. Where it's the, hey, maybe you just still have that itch. Maybe he just still wants to continue to fight. And I think that we're seeing the same thing with Tyson Fury. The fact that, hey, he's got the money. He He's got the the cachet. He's done it all there is to do in the sport. Still undefeated. He can go out on top whenever he wants, but he's still sticking around because there's always been so much talk. Is he going to retire? Is he done? But he still keeps coming back. And it's not for the fights that we necessarily want to see as fans. And that's evident by this fight just being on ESPN+. Plus. When I'm And I bring it back to that Conor McGregor to tie it into the point where I do think that Tyson Fury is that fighter that if he's not fighting, not only will, you know, we, we get it, you're going to get fat and happy and you're just going to be done with the sport after you retire. Maybe that's what most fighters will want from their career to make it to the point where you can just say, hey, I'm done with it and I can just be happy and do whatever I want. Now, I've got a few money. But with Tyson Fury, I do think that he's the fighter that needs the sport he needs to stay active he needs a training camp so as much as he says that hey he's going to retire or i don't know i don't know if he's bsing us as the fans or he just loves the attention but i think just on a limb this is me doing armchair psychology that we how vocal he's been about mental health issues and other issues in his past that it's a slippery slope and i do think that tyson fury that he's out here he's going to keep fighting until until he's actually physically retired. 
because for him, I do think that he likes that routine, that schedule of, you know, getting up for a fight. You know, loving the fight, you know, because we see it with Conor McGregor and I'll keep that tie in there of someone, let's say, on that same level of proving everything that they need to do in the sport. I think Conor McGregor, he's happy just being a celebrity and also he's not at the top of his game with Tyson Fury. He's still at the top of the game. He's still unbeating. And we know that, hey, Anthony Joshua, that's done with. Now, we we all know that Anthony Joshua, it would still be a big money fight, but it's not going to be that big of a challenge to Tyson Fury after we've seen the way he's been handled by Usyk two times in a row. But I still would like to see that Usyk fight all four titles on the line. But with Tyson Fury, it's just seeing it seems to me that he's just one of those fighters that needs to stay active for better or for worse. So that's going to be exciting to see. I'm, am I going to watch the fight? Yes. But it, it does help that it's not on pay-per-view. I'll tell you that right now. But Tyson Fury, what's going to be next for him? It's going to be interesting to see because this guy seems that he needs to stay active inside of a boxing ring, no matter how much he tries to fave us with retirement talk. And as we wrap up the show here, I also want to send out a congratulations, a shout out to my boy Jay Vidal getting signed by Impact Wrestling, the first openly gay wrestler signed by Impact Wrestling. Got to give the shout out to him. I mean, A1 since day one when he moved to Vegas from Gangrel School out in Florida was one of the first guys that, hey, man, he can teach me some more about wrestling. So it's you love to see good things happen to good people. And I mean, the group chat is legendary. And that's going to do it for us today here on The Fight Game. I want to say thank you to my man Reynolds. Thank you to Shawnee Mack from Full Send MMA. And thank you for listening. And remember, hey, UFC Orlando, Tyson Fury is going to be fighting. Chocolatito is going to be fighting as well. Hope I pronounced that right because I know it's not Chocolatito is going to be fighting. So this has been The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Stay safe and protect yourself at all times, everybody.